Had enough of the been there, done that ideas, tired of too much talk and so little action. Rewind now and welcome to Transformation and Change Radio with Dr. Kathy O'Bear, where the vision of true equity, inclusion, courage, and purpose meet powerfully. Dr. Kathy delivers with dynamic, engaging conversation and the most authentically brave dialogue on air today. This hit show will challenge you to explore current issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion and deepen your capacity to choose courage to speak up to greater inclusion in everything you do. Fasten your seatbelts and accelerate your effectiveness to become a powerful change agent in your life, community, job, and society. Imagine true equity and inclusion and get the tools to really manifest your vision. No frills, no fluff, just really powerful, good stuff. Transformation and Change Radio starts now. Welcome. So excited you're listening in. I'm Kathy O'Bear, she, they pronouns here in the unceded lands of the Arapaho, Ute, Cheyenne, and Sioux. I need a deep breath because I have a feeling once Sharifa Rowe from Rowe Consultant and I start talking, I'm just going to sit back and maybe ask a few things. You know, Sharifa, we first met, what, a month or two ago? Yeah. Uh, in Community Connections. And I'm so grateful you said yes to join the show. Because what I know is as soon as you started showing up with a community of anti-racist educators, change agents that, you know, once a week we gather for support, love, maybe some ideas. You were saying things that were rocking me and I'm like, ooh, I don't know what that, and I'm like, will you come? And so I'm so grateful. What I particularly, I mean, there's so many things I love about you, but one is when we talked beforehand, you really bring so much of your life experience. Everything from growing up in Ohio, everything from work in chemistry and math background, then corporate work in STEM fields, so rare. But then you went into education, got a master's, you were teaching government, nonprofits you worked in, and then you were an internal change agent. And it may have been you were an internal change agent the whole time, but really working to help organizations internally live into their mission, their vision, their passion that they say, but we often fall so short. And then at some point, I'm sure you'll tell us, you're like, hmm, I think I might have a call in to do it externally and what I hope to get to is how you work in partnership with community organization, external issue resources, why you also help intact institutions. So I could not be more excited to welcome you, Sharifa Rovro Consulting. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you, Kathy. Happy to be here. Well, to start, I usually ask folks, how are you doing in this contextual moment of... <coughs> 12 months pandemic, I think it's about 10 months since George Floyd was murdered and more national attention on black and brown bodies murdered unarmed by police. And then this whole Black Lives Matters continuing protests, insurgency, domestic terrorism, insurrect me. So how the hell are you? Um, well, I, I think I'm as good as any, any of us can be. I am, this has been a really great time of reflection for me. Hmm. Um, I have my three girls, two, two biological and my niece at home at school. And that has been um, quite the challenge, but also quite the joy because I get to see the workings of our education system as a parent at home. And it's a doozy. 
Um, but also, you know, enjoying the weather of Phoenix. I'm sitting in my back my backyard right now, which gives me great joy and helps me to relax. And I think the goal for me um, through all of this is really, I know it's gonna sound a little cliche, but self-actualization. Like what, what can I be dreaming of? What can I be creating? What new spaces, new ideas um, that can happen besides the status quo of white supremacy culture? And I join you in, at least for me, uncharted territory, even though I'm realizing I am very late to this, that not only in my lifetime have black and brown indigenous folks been writing, speaking, teaching, training, I realized that there are so many folks while I was in my doctorate that were in Western Mass teaching training about anti-racism and I wasn't engaging, pay attention. Um, and I find so many more white folks particularly are waking up and using the murder of George Floyd as literally a moment of I had no idea mm -hmm. and or January 6th white supremacist domestic violence, I had no idea. Yeah. So there's this surge. Oh, go. I think um, I, I've been reflecting, you know, I had to have several conversations before I said yes to you and reflection of my on myself because my first instinct was to say no. Um, because I, you know, when white folks say I want to talk to you or can I pick your brain or what are you thinking about X, Y, and Z? You know, I get a little nervous about it. Um, I think the first reason is because of the, the, the tradition of extraction and the tradition of once we have the language to name things, we no longer have to listen to the people who are most impacted that are having the actual experiences and following their lead. And so I kind of, was like, oh, shall I be saying yes? Shall I be saying no? You know, and I, I think that it is important for more people to hear and to listen, but more than that, to act. Um, what does MLK say? The quote is that, you know, we all have to protest. You just got to figure out what is your protest. And we are a country built on protest, right? So I don't think that this is new. I don't think that this is new to white folks, I don't think it's new to our history. I don't think it's new um, in any sort of way. I think the opportunity is that there is some language that is coming out, like people being able to say anti-racist and white supremacy culture and focus on the culture and not the people because we're all indoctrinated into this culture, not just white folks. Black folks are indoctrinated in a white supremacy culture too, brown folks, trans folks, uh, LGBTQ folks, right? All of us. And so how do we live that out and how do we move differently in light of that is, is, is kind of the idea. So I'm glad that I said yes, um, even though the nervousness of like, oh, once you start giving people language and definitions and ideas, um, the tendency is to run with it and not to check back in. So. I hope that people hear and do, but they also listen and seek out in their own communities, grassroots organizers and people that they can align themselves with. So I really appreciate the work in partnership. And as I work with white leaders or change agents, how do we do that collaborative following leadership of, I was just listening to a podcast 
Austin Channing Brown and Rachel Ricketts, I believe I have her name, brand new, bought her book. Um, and I've heard other folk of color say, and I heard Rachel very clearly say, white folks, you decided <laughs> not to pay attention earlier. So I want to acknowledge, mm -hmm. and that was my intent of acknowledging earlier, that I had yeah. the opportunity from white and lots of folk of color to get into dismantling racism work far sooner than I did. And it was a conscious choice. And I see more white people consciously choosing to at least want to understand and maybe take action. And I am wondering if you're seeing this, I'm hearing that some of the momentum from the summer and the fall that inside organizations, if not in communities, we're seeing an easing of leaders saying yes, or they're backing up. So I just wondered what you're seeing, and particularly you're seeing tons of backlash, and it's been there in Arizona nationally, but I know personally. So what are you seeing? Yeah, I, um, I, earlier on, you know, everyone wanted to, you know, put out their, you know, solidarity statements saying everyone was, you know, raised fifths to the air, black power. And, you know, just recently we've come across um, political persecution of Black Lives Matter protesters here that are being charged with felonies of being a part of gangs um, from our Maricopa County attorney Attorney's Office. And we have petitions. I was trying to collect a petition of organizations and businesses to support because city and government um, a lot of times will listen to organizations and businesses when they won't and listen to individuals. And I'm telling you, it's been difficult to get organizations and businesses to put their organizational name and information out there in solidarity around dropping these charges. And people are willing to sign individually, but when it comes to you know businesses and nonprofits and organizations, it's been really difficult. Um, and that's not just white folks. I'm talking about black folks too. I'm talking about brown folks too. Um, to put their name and their energy and their organization, um, their collective power um, into these types of things. So it just, it's, it's not new, right? Um, and it's not surprising, but it is disappointing. And it makes me wonder, you know, the, the systems that we're talking about transforming and or, or throwing out, doing something new altogether, like it, they're not broken. You know, you hear people say, oh, the system is broken. We have to fix it. But we know it's not broken. These are the outcomes that were set from jump. And it's the outcomes that we've always been getting. So, so now it has me thinking, you know, as I, I do my own work and my consulting work of being an outside strategy, I call myself, you know, there's a against inside outside strategy and they all have to be working together um, to, to do this good work of changing systems. But, you know, what does that look like for my own work? What does that look like for who I partner with and who I align? Where do my loyalties lie? You know, do they lie in, you know, a paycheck or do they lie in the people? And what I hope more than anything of the awareness of white folks is that they see themselves in the struggle. That this is not a, I'm in solidarity with you because I'm here to help you. It is, I'm in solidarity with you because I also need to be liberated. And I also am suffering under this idea of white supremacy culture. And yes, I am white, but there's so many, there's many layers to whiteness. 
there's gender binary, there's economic status, there's, you know, are you skinny enough? Are you tall enough? Are you light enough? Are you, it's a lot, right? So it, I hope that white folks are not just seeing this as another philanthropic charity event, but an opportunity for their own liberation to restore their own humanity. Um, and we all need that. Yeah, I do this work to restore my own humanity, um, not to just see race and not just to see, you know, binary genders, but see the, the whole, the full person, the full human being. And I, I hope that that is what um, white folks are, are hoping to, or, or at least trying to uh, start on the path of that, of, of seeing themselves in the movement and not just um, an ally, but also a, a person needing liberation as well. It took me a long time to even begin to, I think, understand what you were saying. I was one of those whites that I think I still see a lot. Whites are better, white culture is better, we're superior. And I would have, and I did, fought tooth and nail. It took me years to even acknowledge and admit I had racist attitudes, I was acting out of those. Um, and then they go from that patronizing, let me just help you pull yourself in your bootstraps. I see that still in K-12, nonprofits that are run by whites, maybe folk of color too that still have whiteness in them, um, healthcare. So what are some ways that you support organizations and particularly since so many are still run by whites and white supremacy culture is just embedded intentionally before, maybe not intentionally now, but still there and all the manifestations of perpetuating white privilege and at the expense of folk of color. So what are some ways that you are working with organizations around issues of dismantling <laughs> racism, getting white leaders to pay more attention, uh, maybe whites in general, empowering folk of color? What are you doing? I, I think the first thing is getting people to see the system. I mean, all the systems are essentially the same. We're told that um, we as individuals have choices. I remember uh, a friend of mine, Mike Soto from Equality Arizona gave this whole map of systems and how they work. And it was really useful because the, the idea that people have choices, but those choices are not impacted by historical trauma, historical racism, how you show up in your own identity really says what access you have to those systems, right? And so knowing that we are deep rooted in profit over people, property over people. This is something that mass liberation talks about. And many of the organizers, Cordell uh, in Action, Transcorp Pueblo talk about, Black Lives Matter talk about. And the idea that we had a system from our indigenous brothers and sisters where there was no hunger, there was no one unsheltered, the mm -hmm. land was intact. And we threw that away to covet the land, to enslave Black people. And then we have these systems that are all rooted in this idea. And we're like, oh, what's happening? What, what is this? And the idea is that this is what we've always been. This is where we come from. But this is not where we have to stay because the great thing about systems is that systems do not just function on their own people make up systems. So the, it, since people make up systems, this is something else 
um, Michael Soto said to me that you can be radical and radical being radical has nothing to do with what you ask others to do. Being radical has to do what you choose to do in your circle in your network of influence. What does that look like? And what can you do? Well, for one, you can try to shift power. Um, you should be working with other people. I know I named um, some folks that I work with. I don't do this work alone. I don't believe you should do this work alone. It's extremely dangerous. Um, power always respond and they normally respond in violence or silencing through violence. Um, so you don't do this work alone. And uh, I work with, I'm fortunate to work with Stephanie Cordell with All Voices Consulting and Sarah Gonzalez of Gonzalez Consulting and we kind of go in there and we map power. Um, this was learned through another consulting group I, I've worked with and, and have learned from Insight Consulting here in Arizona. And we do a composition analysis and we really try to understand people because people make up systems. <laughs> so we need to understand what's motivating us. What, it, what are we afraid of? What is keeping us silent? What barriers do we have? What is our collective power and what is our collective voice and what does collective leadership looks like? What do, how do we share power, share leadership? Um, and then learning, like I said, from grassroots organizers. I mean, I've sat under their teaching and learned things that I, I wish I would have learned in college or in school, um, mm -hmm. sitting under the, the instruction of Black Lives Matter Phoenix Metro and um, I already talked about Michael at Equality Arizona and Mass Liberation of Arizona that talks a lot about um, our government and our institutions loving um, property and profit over people. And even Poder in Action that's been teaching people about how the government really works. The idea that we don't really know how our city government, local government works, that is not even taught. That is not even a conversation, intentionally. Um, and then even working with Transcore Pueblo, which I'm fortunate enough to be on the board of, which is a, um, it is a queer, trans queer migrant and immigrant organization that is doing amazing work with undocumented folks and telling the stories of people who are going into detention and, and the violence of ICE and, and just sitting under the, their, their, their teaching and their leadership has been life-changing for me. And that is something that I think everyone can do in their local communities, find out who those groups are and, and just sit down and, and grab a pencil and paper and get ready to, to learn. Um, it will not only, I think, feed you so that you can move forward, but then also just give you so much insight of how you can do your own work in your own community. And for folks inside organizations, I really hear that call to build relationships, not an exploitive, come teach me, but <clears throat> let me learn. And then I work here and I wonder what could be some collaborative bartering and so that it really yeah. becomes a mutual community. And your call really is for folks inside organizations or consultants to be integral in the communities um, and not working alone. And- yeah, oh, we no. Yeah, no, go ahead. Uh, I was going to talk about how we devalue lived experience, how organizations. Please do. You, you asked the question around 
centering most impacted voices and what does that mean? And we have a culture because we care about profit and we care about um, property and we kind of like, oh, people will get to them. We miss a lot of learning through people's lived experience. And oftentimes we devalue that. We're looking for something grandiose and big, but really it's in our day-to-day -day of how we're experiencing systems, how we're experiencing those things um, that can get in the way of seeing something new, not involving, not allowing that to be in, you know, with us. I mean, I was thinking to myself as I was getting dressed for you today, Kathy, I said, should I wear a blazer? I said, no, you need to go ahead and wear your flowy, your flowy flowery draped thing so that you can show a different way of being, a, a relaxed way of being, that we can talk through this, we can see each other in full humanity and we can get to the other side and create something new, if that makes sense. Dismantling what professionalism means, white culture, how white supremacy has said, this is how you have to be, even in our dress. And as I work with white people, and my guess is you, of course, do too, all that you're saying is trigonometry, advanced math, potentially, because so many whites I find inside organizations are still... I don't see the reason to do this. I, and so at least my metaphor and do push back, but kind of basic math. So as you're talking, <laughs> something I've been doing lately is asking, it's similar to how institutions work, but I'm going to acknowledge you and talk more about that in my work. And I've been asking people to look at the history of their institution, whatever it is, corporate, religious, nonprofit, healthcare, wherever I'm working. So you're not in... And that's been an entry for many folks to, again, look at institutions and systems and the light bulbs go up. Um, and the guilt and shame, which I think we whites use to uh, distract from doing our self-work, to look at our racist attitudes, behaviors, and also understanding systems that were created for whites, by whites, at the exploitation of BIPOC folks. So, as we got just a few minutes left, what else is coming up for you? And then I'd love you to just also tell people how they can find you and then we'll take a break and come back for more. Yeah, um, I am, you, if you look up Sharifa, which is a very <laughs> unique name, Sharifa Rowe, Estro Consulting is where you can find me. Um, right now, I'm still doing work with different institutions, whether city or state, um, trying to think through and grapple with how to work differently. Um, so I'm really fortunate to, of that um, in this kind of panorama, I've been calling it, um, that we're experiencing. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pushing out this petition for drop all charges for Black Lives Matter. Um, if you're in a city where there was protests, perhaps look and see um, what type of charges are happening and what is happening in your own city around that because that political persecution is happening throughout the country. So I'm sure that there's something going on in your city. Um, if you're not in Arizona, but if you are in Arizona, I urge you to sign the petition of Mass Liberation AZ and um, get on board for drop all charges because honestly, the Black Lives Matter protesters and those folks protesting are the, the white abolitionists and the freedom fighters of, of our day, of today. So um, I encourage that. And I look forward to more, Kathy. 
And when you first shared that at one of the community connections, I, again, I'm learning so much I don't know. It's just, and when I was reflecting how there were AK, what, 47 um, domestic violent organized and the police interacted very different, whether it's Portland, Phoenix, Washington, DC, but to watch Phoenix and other places using <coughs> a law that they say gang violence only for Black Lives Matter to persecute. So I love your term political persecution and listeners breathe because some of y'all just keep breathing. We're on a high learning curve of how we particularly as white folk need to be internal change agents as well as external collaborators learning with and partnering with. So, so excited as we come back from break, Sharifa Roro Consulting to learn more about some of the ways you work internally to help leaders live into their vision. So see you all on the other side of the break. Hi, I'm Patricia McNair, host of Divine Guidance with Patricia. And I'm here to help you live a more authentic, spiritually connected life. Join me every first and third Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Being who you are in everyday life is the key to unlocking soul wisdom within that our whole self already knows. Get ready to embrace your spiritual, mental, and emotional well-being, your whole being. Discover your gifts and strengthen your connection to spirit. We will explore earth guidance, divine truth, and love, past life lessons, and so much more. So listen in to Divine Guidance with Patricia and join in your personal adventure to triggering, opening, validating, and being all that you are. For more information about me, visit divineguidance.earth. Transition, simultaneously the most difficult and vital part of the human experience. Without change, how would we grow? Tune in to Grounding Into Your Radiance with Stacy Barber every second and fourth Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Step into your truth and allow the light into your life. For more information about Stacy and her services, visit StacyBarber.com. That's Stacy, S-T-A-C-I-E, Barber.com. It's time to get your life back on Burn Bright Today with Jennifer Marcinelli. Tune in each month on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Learn to move from the darkness of burning out to the light of burning bright. Jennifer is redefining stress and the energetic causes of burnout, shining a light on process to get your life back. For more information about Jennifer and her work, visit BurnBrightToday.com. Transition, simultaneously the most difficult and vital part of the human experience. Without change, how would we grow? Tune in to Grounding Into Your Radiance with Stacy Barber every second and fourth Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Step into your truth and allow the light into your life. For more information about Stacy and her services, visit StacyBarber.com. That's Stacy, S-T-A-C-I-E, Barber.com. Healing has a ripple effect. One person's healing affects everyone around them. This is where the power of sharing our stories can be so important. Tune in to Playing on the Edge Radio with Megan Edge each month on Transformation Talk Radio as Megan provides you with ways of sustaining radical and powerful changes in your life. Enact the power of radical change. 
To find out more about Megan Edge, visit her website at meganedge.ca. Welcome back to Transformation Change Radio. And speaking of radical change, so excited to be learning with Sharifa Rowe of Rowe Consulting. And all you've said so far is really about systemic radical change from where people are in their spheres of influence. And as you say hello again, could you talk about <clears throat> how are you seeing manifestations of white supremacy culture, institutional racism today inside organizations that some of us just think is that's just good practice and normal and how it should be. And what, what else could it be? Because that's where I find particularly white leaders stuck. They can't imagine liberation. They can't imagine another way. Yeah, I would say, uh, I know everyone is probably seeing like the 15 characteristics of white supremacy culture. And I think it's important to say that it is culture, not people. Um, and I know, I know that there are such things as white supremacist people who identify people uh, that are white of being kind of the, the top tier among everyone else. That is not what we're referring to when we talk about culture. When we're talking about culture, we're talking about perfectionism, which we see a lot in um in organizations a lot of times the perfectionism is what keeps people from moving forward the fear of doing it wrong um and i i tell people all the time you can't be both innovative and perfect it's impossible That's you can't good. have innovation and perfection so if you want to do something new it's going to take imperfection um this kind of sense of urgency we got to get to it we got to get to it by any means necessary, we got to get to it. We got to do something. But then that doing something creates a default of what you've already been doing, which is steeped, right? So it takes time to unravel and unpack. Um, really understanding how processes and policies work um, in your institution so that you can unpack those things. Because there's things that you do because that's how you have to report it. And there's some things that you do just because it's all, it's the way it was always done, right? And so when I'm working with organizations, I'm, I normally, we normally start with a discovery session of just understanding the people. That's what we mean by composition analysis. What is their race? What is their gender? What is their way of thinking and deciding and making decisions? Are, are they more reflective where they need more time to process? Are they more extroverted where they need to talk it out? Understanding the person and then unpacking the processes and policies, because that's a lot of where your systemic stuff hides is in policy and processes. If we look at the disparities in our country, it did not happen from individual one-on-one -on -one interactions of someone using the N-word or someone you know, putting a, a cross burning in somebody's yard. It happened through government. It happened through legislation. It happened through practice of how you do your day-to-day. -day. And so getting people to see how their day-to-day -day creates these outcomes is really, really important. And I say, look at the white supremacy culture list and then create a list of what the opposite would be. So if you have perfection, make space for imperfection. If you have a sense of urgency, have abundance thinking. You know, like if you have either or thinking, have abundance thinking. Um, try understanding multiple perspectives. If you're feeling defensive, 
reject defensiveness. There's a, there's a, a question that um, uh, insight consultants use. They say, what if it's true? You find yourself feeling defensive, say, what if it's true? What if it's true that person did experience me that way? Or this policy is getting these outcomes? What does that mean? Yes, we value professionalism, but how about valuing lived experience? Normally, the people who have the most decisions in your organization is not the person who is the top tier decision maker because they don't have to experience the system, right? So are you talking to those folks? Is there a loop to have conversations with people that are at different parts of the organization? Are you shifting power, creating a more flat structure? Are you sharing power? So now some particularly white listeners and leaders are like, okay, now you're talking about too much. So what does sharing power, <laughs> collaborative decision-making, radical change, what does that look like kind of in the real day-to-day? Because -day? the resistance I hear is, but you have to have different roles and you have to have hierarchy. And yeah. So what would you say? Yeah, I would say that it looks like first creating the conditions for people to be able to really speak and tell their truth. Mm -hmm. So it does not look like identifying whatever black, brown, queer, trans person you see and saying, what do you think about X, Y, and Z? Uh, because even though we say we have this open door policy, what a lot of um, BIPOC or marginalized communities face is once we do speak our truth, if you don't like that truth, then it's dangerous. Is dangerous. So what? So make sure you have the conditions to really listen and to really be able to ask people their truth. Um, and that means maybe it takes some work on 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 the leadership first, on the board first, to really prepare themselves. I've been working with boards that are <laughs> looking to see like, am I you know culturally competent? I, I know that that's not equity and that's not. Um, diversity or inclusion, but it's a start. It's a start to the conversation. So the first place would be start, figure out what is your start into the conversation so that you can kind of move on this continuum. I know I've, I've been calling myself a Jedi consultant, not long, just probably three months, four months, um, very short. Um, I just put justice in front of equity, diversity, and inclusion. Because I know diversity is a window dressing of, hey, we have different people, look. Um, and I know inclusion is an opportunity to include people into what? A white supremacy culture, right? Giving access or giving uh, the ability to inflict violence um, or receive violence, depending on where you are on your privilege spectrum. Um, and then equity, yes, it's more access, it's, it's trying to do things different, but really what we're, what we're searching for is justice, liberation, justice. How do we honor the humanity of everyone? Um, and so I think, yeah, start off with where are you on that journey? Who are the decision makers? Have an honest conversation with yourself. Don't be afraid to say, oh, I'm not getting it right. I get it wrong all the time, all the time. There, yes, I am black. Yes, I am a woman. Um, yes, I identify as queer, but do I have all of the different ways that injustice happens happening in my day-to-day -day life? No, there's things that I have to learn about 
um, people who are disabled bodied. There's things that I have to learn about trans communities. There's things I have to learn about immigration. Um, so the opportunity is there. You just have to figure out where you are and have a, a real conversation with yourself. I heard both Austin Channing Brown and Rachel Ricketts yesterday say something similar of, you know, we're black women and we've got internalized racism and so do people of color. And then you went to some of your privileged identities or at least parallel. I know white people as a group, we're like, we're either good or bad, racist, <laughs> white supremacist or the good one. And so much of dismantling white supremacy beliefs in me was and still is, I, I just felt this, oh, when I hear folk of color say what you just said, I think it helps us white people go, oh, okay, we all have something to learn, but what I need to unlearn is significant over here. Um, so to that point, what are, your, what are your thoughts for ways organizations can support particularly white leaders, white managers, supervisors, really learning anti-racist capacities, competencies, so they can be a part of this radical change. And if y'all are training yourselves over radical, just say living into your vision and values. That's what Rowe <laughs> would call it. Um, and, oh, can I add an and? No, please. And I am adamant that if there's any investment in white folk, there's parallel investment, equitable investment in folk of color, indigenous folk. So talking about the empowerment space for BIPOC folk, affinity space, so. Yeah, that is a good question. Um, I think the start of that conversation is rooted in storytelling. I think the start of that conversation is rooted in figuring out what ways do we belong? What ways do we hold privilege? And what ways are we othered? or have been othered. And I'll have people say, you know, even white folks, I've done facilitation, they say, I've never been othered, I'm white, I'm male, I'm cisgendered. And I say, well, do you have children? No, I can't have, me and my wife, we couldn't have children. Oh, well, in our society, that's a way that you would be othered because we value people who can have children. In fact, that's one of the things we ask people, where do you work, do you have any children? And if you don't have any children, a lot of times it's like, oh, well, what is wrong with you? Why haven't you chose to have children, right? So I think starting with that storytelling and centering it in people's humanity and lived experience and really being able to identify what ways you hold privilege, what ways are you othered so that you can see that um, this is a human condition, this being othered, right? Um, and that yes, there might be severity or you know, there's there's a longevity of, of how it happens. But you know, I, I started to, there was a picture that I saw many years ago where um, where they used to do lynchings in the park. You've probably seen this. And there was a little girl who was looking at the lynching of a of a black man, of black body, and kind of with a with a smile, right? And that trauma, those are the things that we have to unpack and understand that, that that's been passed down to you. That's been passed down 
to, uh, do, can you imagine the, the level of dehumanization that it has to occur for you to be able to see another human being lynched as a child and for that to be the norm? I guess my point is, is that the more we can see each other as full human beings, and I'm not saying stop there, because you also need to unpack the, the, the roots that's happened historically and get to some ways of, of, of acting and moving in a more just and, and whole way. But I think valuing our lived experience, seeing each other as full human beings is the start to starting to unpack some of those things. Because if you're coming to the space of, I'm such a bad person and you're such a good person, then we, we haven't hit the mark. Just flipping it. We're just flipping it. And my goal for white supremacy to, to, to get rid of white supremacy is not so that black people can be at the top of the, of the, of the, of the mountain. I don't want to replace, and I know that there's no such thing. You hear people. So don't, don't take that, uh, uh, social media and say, oh, now you're saying black supremacy. But yeah, I think one of the most beautiful things about being black is that we say everybody's black. That's why we have such a rainbow. You know, anybody who tells us that they black, we say, come on over here. <laughs> we love you. It's that owning and, and, and having everyone be together or seeing each other in your full humanity. So I'm, I'm not saying that, but the, the goal is really to do something different. And I think it starts with that unlearning and seeing people as full human beings. And really starting with full breadth of differences, where do we all have privilege, y'all, marginalization, your language, othering. And to your point, I want to add this, and then how are the systems set up today to continue that? That impacts you personally here? What's our mm -hmm. climate and culture and how is that infused? Go. There's one thing I want to add because there, there'll be this thing where there'll be a list of all these things that you want to do. You want to diversify your board. You want to look at your policies and see if they're, you know, if, if, if they are, you know, creating disparity. You want to look at your um, hiring practices and you want to look at salaries and see if people are getting paid, you know, properly. Go ahead and brainstorm till your heart is content and then prioritize them as either quick wins, something that you can do right away something that is um, unfruitful. If it's unfruitful, get rid of it. Don't do it anymore. And then what will be your long-term impacts? Those will be, you need more thinking around it. You need to problem solve around it. You might not have all the learning that you need to really understand it and do something with it. That might be a long-term project and start prioritizing some of these things so that you can move. Otherwise, it's so big, it's so daunting is so ah racism sexism homophobia like that it, it drowns you into doing nothing which is the, the the worst thing that institutions can do is nothing that either or we got to do it all and do it perfectly or i am incompetent i don't know what i'm doing and to your point as a white person for years and maybe much more somewhat today i could have said i want to be a part of changing the hiring systems <coughs> but 20 years ago, I would have replicated white supremacy beliefs in the systems. And so how do you do all that while also using those, I call them working groups or task forces for development opportunities? And to your point earlier, bringing in who else needs to be in them from the external so that we're learning, growing and 
Well, I think that you have to choose some working assumptions that you're going to work from. Um, I think that the whole point of mapping your power of knowing where power is, is so that person who has power can shift or share power with people who do not have power. So instead of putting whoever's in power in the center of the, the circles, right, you would then center lived experience and you will put that person in the middle or that group or that understanding in the middle of your circles and say, okay, what, you know, what would it look like for you if you needed to navigate the system differently? I mean, I had a client that I'm working with the city and they said, you know, you wait to hear public comment at the end of your meeting. Why do you do that? We feel silenced. Oh, let's just shift it to the beginning of the meeting. Right? It's, it, it is those things that as you ask and as you listen, you're able to respond thoughtfully. And it's not, it's not, you know, it, it can be, you know, complex, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just shifting, thinking from a different perspective that allows you to have some, some real tangible solutions of how to work differently. To your point, getting more people involved in what are current practices, who those benefit, who do they maybe unintentionally create barriers for, don't serve, and then getting folks involved in doing that. Um, do you have experience of having folk, community members, nonprofit organizers who are working with, in partnership with governmental, with corporations? So here's my concern is that systems will go, ooh, come teach us and we'll take your work for free. Mm -hmm. How do, how do or, or could organizations honor, compensate, barter, honor, so that again, BIPOC folk aren't emotional labor doing all the work and we white are sitting back and. Yeah, they should compensate. If they are asking people to come do that work, they should compensate organizers, anyone, uh, uh, community members that you're asking for their experience, you should be compensating them. Um, it, it used to baffle me how people could have a community meeting and there's different organi people, organizations that are, are on a salary and are getting paid to be there. And then they expect the community to be there for free. Um, so you, you should be paying them. Um, I think Sometimes before you even go outside of the organization, if you create conditions so that people can tell you the truth, you have some solid solutions right there in your community or in your institution that you've been ignoring or you've been silencing. I mean, to be honest, I became a consultant because I wasn't heard in the institutions that I was working for. I had the same thinking I had the same ideas, the same fervor for change, the same energy, um, but I was not considered. I was not listened to. Even if I gave ideas, they were often silenced or kind of like, oh, we're not, that sounds good, but no, we can't do that um, kind of mentality a lot of times. And, you know, just just wait and, and hear them out and and really think through what would it take and what could it look like? And ask yourself more questions um, than statements. As we unfortunately have to wind out, um, 
you have so focused <laughs> on creating the conditions so people can tell you their truth individually and collectively. And as I'm hearing you again, I'm like, that in itself could be revolutionary and culture changing. And some of this other power sharing, understanding insider, outsider, privileged, marginalized would be a process, all part of that. And I really love, then you'll have so much. And when I work with organizations that want to do one more survey, I'm like, yeah, no, Vernon Wall told me that the first time. I'm like, pull out all the ones you've ever had, every focus group first, quickly look at that. But most likely you won't find anything else new that people of color and indigenous folks haven't been telling you and you've been silencing. As we close, you really powerfully talked about how whites are also hurt by white supremacy culture. And is there any more you would wanna say? Maybe I'll have to have you back if you're willing because we have a few um, more moments. Cause that had is- you, Had you seen those eight identities? Have you been seeing yeah. that with Hesse? Um, and the, 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 the principal, I can't remember if it was a principal or a superintendent. Yes, Kathy, of course you do. Yes, Kathy, teach the people. Um, I, I think that <laughs> I love that spectrum that he does. I was Heron, is this Baron Hesse? Am I messing up his name? Or Haran Hesse? Is it on there? This says B-A-R-N-O-R. Yes, but I don't know how to pronounce yes. it. Bar nor yeah. this, but I could be mispronouncing. Yes. I love that he gave the spectrum of whiteness because I think it's so fascinating. You 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 couldn't speak to any um, group of color and they wouldn't be aware of the stereotypes about them. And you white folks are like not even aware of the stereotypes about them, which is like, and some of the stereotypes, some of it is you know. Real lived experience is, is truth, right? Um, and so I just I, I think the self-reflection of like what what have I been taught? What what am I learning? What what does it really mean to be white? Have you ever thought about you know the 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 podcast seen seen on radio, seeing white mm. um is and seeing patriarchy, they did a one on seeing patriarchy as well. Um was just really insightful because I think for white people, even though you've been moving as a collective, you've, you've been taught to see yourself as an individual. And so as you're able to look and see what are the things that we collectively do? You know, I make jokes or so I'm like, oh, white people are nosy. They want to ask you 101 questions. As and then I you am. ask them a question. They ask you, you ask them a question. They say, I need to think about that. Uh, I, I, they can't even answer. Let me let me think about that and get back to you. You know, it's like, wait a minute, you, I just answered all your questions and now you need to reflect. Um, and so I think the more that, that white folks can, can see their collectiveness of how whiteness functions and what does that look like in institutions? What does that look like in, you know, interactions with BIPOC communities? Um, because in a lot of ways they've been taught that oh, we need to save these communities, not we're creating the conditions that create this disparity. You know, if one more person tells me, oh, why, you know, why are schools different in poor communities? Um, because of taxes and because of how we fund and housing, right? So the more that that reflection can occur, the more that, and I'm, I heard that you're doing a space 
for for white folks to be able to have this reflection. I was fortunate enough to do um, some some fundraising uh, for Transcore Pueblo around having kind of these community conversations mm -hmm. with white folks um, of organizations to, to kind of talk about those things mm -hmm. in a way that they can, you know, have the conditions to really have a conversation and not feel like it has to be performative. So, you know, kudos for you doing that work. And um, I, I'm also doing that work with, with um, uh, last time I did it, I did it with Malia Dunn of Malia yeah. Dunn Consulting. Yeah. And, um, and uh, Mary Stevens, who was with Insight Consulting, and they held a roundtable, and we fundraised, and it went to BIPOC communities. So you can, and if you do it and you want to fundraise and give to Transcorp Pueblo, we will receive it. But um, it, I, I think the more that those conversations and reflection can happen, the the better, um, Kathy. And it's not a, it's not a, you know, one bullet. <laughs> you know, it's. It's a, and I know that's probably not the best thing, but it's not, you know, one seed that you're going to plant and grow. It's, it's a bunch of different things. So we can have a robust garden. Um, but yeah, I would love to talk to you about kind of the, the trauma of, of, of whiteness and, and, and how, and even invite um, someone with me to, to have that conversation as a, a, a triad um, of what I see as a person of color, but then what are, what are other people experiencing? of being white people trying to have this conversation in this day. I may invite you again if you're open. Uh, we need to close. And as you're talking about multiple seeds, folks, my website backslash resources, more and more resources in these white accountability groups, uh, as well as many other folks' resources, uh, open source. And um, as you close, just want to thank you so much, Sharifa Rowe, Rowe Consulting. How can people find you? I'm so grateful for all the wisdom and insight and stories you shared today. Well, you can find me on my website. Um, I'm also, you can email me. I'm really easy, sharifa.rowe at gmail.com. Very simple. First name, dot last name at gmail if you have questions or want to want to contact me. But my website also has, you know, those things you fill out to say, hey, someone wants to talk to you. Um, and if you uh, feel like you can, please sign the petition for Maricopa County. Um, drop all the charges uh, for Black Lives Matter protesters. I think they have 2,000 signatures so far on a, a petition. I think the goal is 5,000. So, um, and if you want to, uh, Transqueer Pueblo, um, I'm a board member there. I can also be found there, but also they have many amazing, um, every Tuesday they have a meeting sharing different information and trainings as well as, um, as well as they're always fundraising because, you know, our undocumented communities do not get the, the, the support of stimulus and that kind of thing, but they still need tons of help. So, um, please you. feel free to support. You've been listening to Dr. Kathy O'Bear on Transformation Talk Radio. Thanks for tuning in, and be sure to catch us next time as Kathy inspires listeners to become agents of change, motivate, innovate, and speak truth to power. Step into the courageous you that will change the world. Connect to life-changing conversations to extend your reach. For more information on Kathy and her work, please visit drkathyobear.com. That's drkathyobear.com.